This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 12th of September 2017, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Dave, and here is my co-host, Jon. Hello, Dave. Hello, Jon, my travel buddy. How are you? I'm good. Hey, another week, another podcast. Another week, another podcast in the new smooth, sleek ish <laughs> shorter episodes let's uh you know feedback welcome let us know how you're uh, how you're enjoying this which is the second of our weekly now podcast episodes which are supposed to be shorter supposed to be we'll yeah. see well last week's was shorter i think it was only about like a half an hour words yeah, uh, 40 minutes something like that yeah. I'm, I'm afraid we're not going to get that short on this one but we'll see Indeed, we shall. We shall. So, the reason I refer to Jon as my travel buddy is not because we went on holiday together. God forbid. I've both been on holiday. Yes. Um, and the the brief that I suggested uh, for this before we both went away was, how about we, you know, going away is something everybody does, and... You know, there are lots of different industries involved when you go and you travel somewhere. Um, so what happens when you go away? What what are the things that you think behind the scenes someone's using big data? What are the things where people are clearly either not using big data or, or even not using common sense? <laughs> As a friend of mine would say common sense doesn't actually appear to be all that common. Um, so And big data will not replace common sense anytime soon. No, no. Although we could possibly replace a few people with some shell scripts. I mean, that would make certain things easier. But that being <laughs> said, um, so the, the overall premise of this episode is really thinking about travel, thinking about our, our vacations. And really, we've split it up into three different sections. Um, so the first section is really about that, that initial planning phase, the booking and uh, the various experiences that we had during that uh, during that booking. I mean, not smooth. I think is the uh, is is the um, initial way that I would put that the whole thing around. Even just choosing destinations, you know, if you don't know where you're going to go, how do you know where to go? Uh, yeah, and it's not for lack of sources of information out there because there are a plethora of travel sites and review sites and booking sites and whatever you want to call it. It's just, how do you compare them? How do you know where to search? How do you search? What are good search terms? Because basically, if you look at, uh, let's just let's just say you want a hotel. You, wanna, you know you're going to go to a certain city and you want to book a place to sleep. Okay, we all know at least three uh, well-known sites you can use for that, and you can look at the reviews that other people left behind. The thing I always run against, there is the the bias that's always inherent in these reviews. I mean, it's good that they're there, but how do I interpret somebody telling me it was okay? Mm. That means it was okay for him or her or it. <laughs> doesn't or exactly that. mean it's okay for me your expectations might be different your culture is different and that makes it very hard to do and actually in my vacation i did have one place that was highly recommended in that city one of the capitals of the u.s state it was the highest recommended uh, hotel mm -hmm. and it was horrible 
<laughs> it would have been great at a third of the price, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. So what what can we what could we suggest or what could we recommend to um to improve this situation? I mean some sort of at the moment, if you look at any of these sort of bulk review places, um there's a lot of information that people give uh, you know when they're reviewing a place, you know. Do they refer to the food, the the comfort of the rooms, you know, do they refer to how much space is in the rooms? You know, the, there are certain things that people talk about when they're, for example, reviewing a hotel that you know, could be extracted into a separate sort of set of scores, maybe. Yeah, I mean, the thing you talk about here is curation. At the moment, all of these uh, sites take it easy. They just give the people a place to write some text down, and they put mm-hmm. the text under the hotel, and they let the next person, look, person looking at that site, figure it out. That is big data because it's a lot of text and a lot of reviews and a lot of hotels and a lot of places and a lot of excursions and whatever. But it's not advanced analytics. It will become advanced analytics when you don't just show those reviews. And sure, you can show them. It's not a problem there, but not just show them. Make sure you take all the reviews from person A and get a kind of score on what kind of Mm -hmm. person this is. Is this a luxury person or an adventurous person? Is this somebody who has high standards, low standards? And when you do that, you can then compare different reviews from different people in a more unbiased fashion. And that's where machine learning and uh, neural networks perhaps can play a big role to get that 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 scoring out of the flat text and that's not being done anywhere at this point i think this is the next thing in review sites not just giving the people back the the the, the text that was spewed onto the on the internet but have an interpretation of that text and yeah as you said a kind of a scoring level that is actually representative without me having to guess the bias that the person that wrote that uh, review had yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise, you're—I mean, you're—you're you're basically you're doing that processing work yourself. You're—you're—you're you're, basically you're doing your own profiling yeah. of individuals, which takes up a huge amount of time if you if you want to do it to any That's, sort of level. Because do you do that? I actually do that when I go to a site and or if I, buy, I want to buy something, uh, I don't know, an MP3 player, whatever. I go to an online store and I look at the reviews and I see a review I think okay I think this person is my kind of person so hmm okay let's see what other things this person has reviewed to see if and but that way you can't you really it's a matrix calculation yeah, yeah. at that point right yeah yeah, yeah. You, you you begin I mean I'm a I'm a procrastinator by default <laughs> so actually that sort of that sort of exercises I, I find thoroughly enjoyable and it's oh, just come on. kind of that's just the kind of weirdo that I am but it, it's but it the, shouldn't the, be necessary uh, anymore it shouldn't be necessary you should be able to have a more rounded picture of things we have you know we have algorithms we have things that can be used to you know do sentiment analysis on those kind of textual analytics we don't or I, yeah. you're right i haven't seen anything done like that but even today. if you say sentiment analysis 
it's sentiment analysis plus. You just don't want to take at the text oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and say if this is a, a happy or a sad thought. You want to look at all of the text that this person has written everywhere, see what yeah. his normal is, and apart, according to that normal, say if it's a good or a bad text. Yeah. Does that person always use these same words yeah. to describe all the places they've stayed? It's the pessimist you know. versus optimist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. And that's something that should be perfectly doable these days, but for some reason... None of the real sites are doing it, and you could even argue that the sites themselves shouldn't do it, but the aggregate sites are done on top of those, because you yeah. know you have these aggregate sites that take all the reviews from all the other sites and give you a aggregate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, They could be doing that, because they have access to everything, and it's all public information, right? Yeah, very much so. I mean, so let's let's talk about something else that would seem to be very, very simple, but people are just not doing it. And that's higher cars. Um, I don't. I don't know enough about the higher car business, but I can say, with a matter of fact, from someone that's tried to do a number of, you know, I don't just want to go to point A from point A to point B, or from point A back to point A X number of days later. I had a reasonably complicated stage journey I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I had several sort of um, several destinations and several um, several points of where I was starting journey, and you know, it, okay, mine was possibly not the uh, not the traditional or not the typical hire car booking, but if you want something slightly different, um, if you want to be a bit more specific about what vehicle you might want, if you want you know, anything from just, I'm happy with any econo box that will get me from A to B, it seems to be impossible for any uh, that I could find of the major hire car providers to give you any sort of idea on you know, what, uh, what cars would be would or may be available. I understand that, you know, things happen. People crash hire cars all the time. I understand. I haven't yet, but, you know, I understand <laughs> these things happen. And so I, I I get that people can't make, organizations can't make guarantees, but they have a known fleet. They have a known set of bookings. Um, it's not rocket science, one would have thought, to be able to, actually work out, you know, this selection of vehicles is available. It should be perfectly possible because they know what they have. They know, I mean, you, you book these things weeks in advance, even months in yep. advance in my case. So they can do a simple planning. Okay, we have this car available at the moment. We will reserve this for this person. It will be there. So anybody else can't get this. There can be an emergency. Car can break down. The next the previous exactly. uh, drivers can have a crash. Those are exceptions to the rule. The reality is that they tell you you'll get a blah, blah, blah kind of car. It yeah. doesn't mean anything. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so the, the, I think that the higher cars are really missing out on the ability to cross-sell, upsell to specific vehicles. You know, the you can do yeah, – and even some of the ones that say you can b- book this specific car – you know, it turns out if you start putting dates and times and locations for pickup and drop off, then all of that goes out the window. Mm-hmm. And even by calling them, they no. <laughs> all they do is internally refer back to the system and go, "Yeah, computer says no." Mm-hmm. Um, and when you ask them, "Well, 
well, why is it saying no? What's the issue? They, they themselves can't tell you. So it's the the opportunities to actually provide that targeted style of service. You know, yeah. if someone wants a sporty coupe for for driving a, a certain route, I then, want a blue car. Well, indeed, yeah. What if blue is your magic favorite color? Yeah. Exactly. You know, would you pay a few extra sure. pounds, euros, dollars? You know, maybe you would. What if you wanted a, you know, a, let me a let car me and a let me reverse that. I don't want a gray car because I can't find it. <laughs> I park in America in a big parking lots of the WalMarts, and I can't find it anymore. Give me a gray red black. one, a yellow one. <laughs> Gray, black, and silver. They're all gray, black, and silver. And white. In the US. Yeah, and the occasional white one as well. That's yeah. right. And also, the whole idea about driving from A to B, so picking up the car and leaving it away uh, somewhere else, mm. why does that still cost more? I mean, very, in the olden days, they had to hire a guy to go get your car and drive it back to the, the, to the original depot because they didn't have any kind of worldwide mapping, planning, scheduling, structure thing. But that, that's yesterday. I mean, today, that should not be an issue anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand why those penalties are there, apart from because they've always been there and they've always been a way to milk extra cash from yeah, people. Yeah, apparently we're willing to pay it, so I wouldn't, eh? Well, yeah. I mean... If one of them would uh, give this as a as a would no longer do this and just do a flat fee across uh, whatever you want to do, they will get market share away from the others. I would think so. I would think so. I, th I think that would be a really quick and easy way because I can't believe that it really costs the no. sort of value. So, and if there is someone out there in the hire car business, come and come and talk to us. We'll give you some very <laughs> honest opinions about our experiences. <laughs> Yeah, and but, also make the cars work because one of the cars I got, I opened the boot and the rear bumper fell off. <laughs> Nothing to do with big data, but I didn't want to put it out there. Yeah. Yeah, and I think so. Well, it, so it could be to do with big data. I mean, predictive maintenance. Yep. Um, even simple things like uh, image recognition. You know, when you when you park in a yeah. in a bay, nice wouldn't one. it be wouldn't it be great if as you drove into the the bay, you know, yeah, a bank yeah, of yeah, yeah, four yeah. or five cameras around, take a quick picture and a great you one. Know, validate there and then that you know the car is intact. Because I've actually talked to insurance companies that want to do automatic insurance uh, claim uh, dealing by just having the person take a picture of the accident. Well, that's mm -hmm. very hard because any kind of accident, you get crumpled cars. There's no frame of reference anymore. But yeah. If you just have a parking bay and you know what the car looked like, it comes in again, you make an, another picture. That must be a, a number of levels easier than the, the car crash scenario. Yeah, yeah. I that's mean, if it had a, I mean, in our particular case, it, if it had a large scratch across the bumper when you picked it up, and surprise, surprise, it still has a large scratch <laughs> across the bumper when you give it back, then that's fine. Yeah. But, you know, if no one had recorded the fact that there was a large scratch across the bumper when you picked it up, and uh, when your other half gets into the car and says, oh, did you know there's a large scratch across the back bumper? And you go, I don't know. I don't I don't recall. And then you turn the, the car back in at the end, and they say, oh, there's a large scratch across the bumper. <laughs> <laughs> and so all those things, you know, you could, could and should be picked up yeah. by an automated way. So, yeah. Less surprises for the next hire, for the next uh, driver. Exactly, and just all around a general better experience. You know, taking the taking the human factor and the guesswork out a lot of yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, one last thing for hired cars for me is that if you don't go for the cheapest car, but you, you take a somewhat more expensive car, put in the the NAVSAT by default. 
why why do higher cars even why would they even not come with sat nav nowadays uh, it, exactly it's harder it to put it out and put it in i think <laughs> i mean i understand you know poverty spec cars still exist out there and i i, I understand that um you know sat nav and, and just infotainment generally evolves um to the point where it's it's you know it's vastly out of date within a few years but you know higher cars are typically one two years old max mm-hmm. so they're always going to be fairly up to date and fairly usable exactly yeah again i just think it's one of those um one of those it's an ability to or an opportunity to gouge customers a little bit more and which if you is do that if you do that, you can use your 360 view of your customer by if you correlate the uh, higher uh, car hire and the hotel uh, reservation habits of this person have a sat nav pre-programmed with his normal favorite hotels, or even you know agree to the fact that um, you know maybe you'll download the the route that they took um, when you give the car back. You know, yeah, give them sure, a little email. Sure. Yeah, there'd, there'd be a consent to that, but surely, as a you know, as a, a a car hire organization, knowing the route that that person took, and I'm sure you know, many of these car hire places probably also have, have trackers loaded into their cars as well. Mm-hmm. But you know, having having that ability has there's got to be some value to the whether it's just from a predictive maintenance perspective. Oh, this guy you know took the car and then drove it for four hours in an unpaved road. No, I've never done that, officer. Um, <laughs> uh, or, you know, yeah. th- you know, drove it up a mountain and then threw it off a cliff. You know, knowing that, <laughs> you know, would be would be valuable to the to the higher car organization. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Moving on. One, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, one thing I really missed when I was uh, ready to start packing my bags is a online service site that should just tell me how to pack my bags. Because I was going to a different country, different temperature zone, different time zone, different everything. And all I could really do was look at, I guess, weather.com or uh, the other weather underground sites to see what the temperature has been last year and hopefully didn't change too much. But when they say wet, does that mean Texas wet or... Florida wet, uh, <laughs> just packing your bags. And I hate overpacking because it's all stuff you have to carry and I don't want to carry stuff I'm going to use. Yeah. Just give me, and there are some sites out there that give you uh, guidelines on a packing list, but those are usually from people that traveled a lot and that tell you this is what I usually pack for a default vacation. We should have enough data out there today and enough information out there that if I give a site, I'm going this week to that country and I want to do this kind of activity to just give me back, okay, this is what you're going to need. You need yeah, four pairs of underpants, not five. And you can have a, I think underpants you probably should know, just count the number of days, um, and divide it by four, right? Um, but uh, but the, no thing, comment. The, <laughs> the thing that gets me is that, you know, it, that sort of thing should be perfectly doable. And you can then have, 
you know, you can have sliders to adjust that for, you know, I like, you know, I'm, I'm more comfortable being someone that has overpacked or yeah. you can dial it all the way back to, I prefer to just take the bare minimum. And in fact, I'd rather not have one or two things um, than, than have overpacked. You know, right. you can, you can have that sort of, those sort of metrics built into that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I've been on biking vacations, so I have to carry everything and I actually cut a piece of my toothbrush. <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't you weren't making a shiv were you <laughs> no okay. just, just gram hunting it's called i think <laughs> <laughs> just checking just but anyway checking. it's an online service i was looking for and i didn't find it so if anybody out there has um, money and uh, some adventure sense get at it yeah there's, there's your next startup <laughs> right there uh, let's see. We did make a bit of a list so we didn't have to think too much on our feet. I had a couple of other things. Uh, one other thing I had when I left the house was a sense of insecurity because, well, you're leaving your house for a couple of weeks and you kind of want to make sure it's secure. And I didn't really want to pay a lot of money to have a security system installed and have the police show up when the thing goes off by mistake and I'm not here to <laughs> pay the fines and everything. So just finding a way to maybe not protected, but be able to keep an eye on the on your property. Mm-hmm. And there's loads of IoT stuff out there with IP webcams and what else, but nothing integrated. And there's so much out there that does work, doesn't work. You need a cloud provider. You don't need a cloud provider. In the end, we did put something in the house and we actually never used it because, well, we're on vacation, so we don't want to worry. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it felt to me that this is something that money want to, that people want to pay money for. So it kind of surprised me that there weren't any ready packaged solutions for this. You're going on vacation, do this and it's done. Cause I only want that solution for the two, three weeks that I'm gone. I don't want to have the installation of a full alert system, alarm system for the rest of the year because then I'm around. I don't need it then. So, so you just want sort of uh, some sort of government surveillance lorry kind of stop parked up in front of your house for the for the two weeks while you're away, yeah. Yeah, but the automated version of that. I mean, yeah. I have that. That's the neighbor that comes in and takes away the mail from the letterbox, <laughs> and that's yeah. still going to be needed there, but. So, so well, you obviously need some sort of IoT-based conveyor belt fitted to your letterbox so that it can, (laughs) you know, sort it and file it. And you're making fun of it now, but it's (laughs) just. I mean, there are there are some. There the problem is that there are there are some elements of this that work to a certain extent if you've got all the right hardware. I mean, like, you know, the, there's a variety of different Nest products like now, you know, the, so the Nest mm-hmm. thermostat when you're away can, can switch off the, the, the heat and, you know, stop. If you've got a hot water boiler, it'll stop that, you know, creating hot water while mm-hmm. you're away and things like that. And then, you know, that you can integrate into the, the Nest home cam, I think it's called. Um, and, you know, again, you can have that in, sort of a security mode so that it only switches on when it so detects people going in front of it. And, but it, it's... Uh, that's easy enough. But what I want is a big data advanced analytics solution that takes my property and detects when something is out of the ordinary, a bit like fraud detection. Yeah. 
I don't want to have to look at my camera. I have a camera in the house that I can see on my phone to over 4G so I can look at it. But I'm not going to look at that camera feed 24 hours a day. I want the thing to alert me when something is out of the ordinary and not when a bird flies across the camera uh, feed. Yeah. Yeah. You need to put your camera in a different location in that case. <laughs> yeah, put it in the closet <laughs> and doesn't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> That may also not work, unless the burglar goes looking in the closet, in which case that would work just fine. But yeah, there's a there's a handful of solutions out there. But they don't you know, integrate. That's but problem. they don't integrate. And But that's always been the problem, right? Mm. That's always been the problem with these kind of things, is standards are great, but they don't support everything we need, so let's invent another standard that does great, yeah. more standards. Yeah, let's have one more standard to rule all standards. Yeah. It's a big KCD... Uh, XKCD cartoon uh, wasn't it? Indeed, indeed. Okay, <laughs> closing of the booking phase of the whole thing for me Your was. Yeah. I mean, once I've done my booking, if I've gone online and went to the hotel through a aggregated site or whatever, and I booked something for the city for this week, don't spam advertisements to me for other hotels in other cities in that same week. I can't go there. I just booked somewhere. <laughs> I I kind of think that, it, to me, I find it strange that these sorts of searches don't have a very sort of noticeable life li- uh, lifetime. So they they should they should have a half life that times out very quickly. Like when you're doing the searching. Uh, at least in my case, like when I'm searching for hotels or whatever, you know, relatively quickly I'll find something and I'll book something. Maybe with a, maybe with that provider, maybe with a different provider. Um, but if I stop looking, that's probably because I've booked. Yeah. So you continuing to send me emails about, hey, how about this hotel here? Probably not very helpful. And I. I only have myself as a reference point here, but I, I I kind of feel from other people I've talked to, it's quite a similar sort of pattern. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you got two ways to two two versions of this, right? You have these search engines that can see what you're searching for on the internet, and from that you have all these ad network thingies. I mean, they can't know that you actually booked something. So yeah, you need to have a kind of a half life system, and it should be a very sh- much shorter one. Mm. But even worse is the version where you go to one of those sites, you book yeah. on that site, so <laughs> they know you have booked, and they keep sending you for the next five weeks recommendations to do something at that same exact time. Or even the, ne- the, the somewhat better version of that is that they actually wait until you get back home, and then they start spamming you with stuff. You can go back there. No, I just went there. <laughs> I mean, the whole idea about these recommendation engines were, is fine. I, I like it. But if you can figure out that it's too late, do that. Because for me personally, this leads to me um, opting out of any kind of tracking. Because yeah. all of the stuff I'm getting is not useful to me. And actually, I'm in big data. I, I earn my money in big data, and I like big data. And I know that these things can actually be very beneficial. If I'm looking for a television set, and there's a new brand I don't know about, and it pops up somewhere in the search, have you looked at this? Oh, I didn't know that one. That can actually help. But the way that's being done is just so 
dumbed down, if you, for lack of a better word. It's not intelligent. It's the same thing with the reviews we talked about earlier. It's they're taking the easy part. Oh, you looked for TV, so I'm going to send you TV ads for the next five months. Make it, use your advanced analytics. Make it more intelligent. Make it valuable. Yeah. And people will complain a lot less about the spam they're getting. Yep. Because useful spam isn't spam. No. Ish. Kind of. <laughs> High value spam. <laughs> High value spam you don't mind receiving. Anyway, so that's that's our booking section. Um, you know, the next the next phase that we kind of talked about was really the trip itself. Um, and you know, for this, there's there's clearly some areas where um, where big data is being used quite heavily, and I think you know the. Um, the airline industry has you know, a, a number of articles, if you take a quick look, around the way that they're using big data to improve, all the way from you know, manufacture of the aircraft in the first place, through to how to bring it in service, to predictive maintenance, um, through to you know, airlines in terms of scheduling and um, you know, how they prioritize certain routes over others in the case of any issues coming up, how they make sure the right crew are in the right place at the right time and ground staff and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But it would seem, from at least from from our experiences, that while that's the, the public um, promise that these are all the fabulous things that we are doing, the reality is still somewhat sketchy. Yeah, and I'm actually, I started wondering if this is because their big data, IoT, tracking, prediction is not good enough, or if it's just a financial decision ending up with if these 20% need to wait longer or miss their slot or have to wait, they have to have to suffer delays, it would cost us X amount to have more ground crew or more this or more that. Well, we'll just let them suffer. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, because I've worked with a couple of uh, airlines and, and uh, airports. I know people are doing stuff with this. I know their um, systems, that their they're, they're models work pretty well and they're never foolproof. But what I did, what I lived through on my vacation, that was no. <laughs> That's not what you want. So it must be a conscious decision somewhere. And in the end, of course, if people still fly with you, even though they have hassles and annoyances, do you really need to fix it? Yeah, true. If 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 it's good enough, mm. and people largely focus on two things: like the the level of of service, and I will clump everything from being on time to whether the meal was actually worth eating and all that sort of stuff. And so the level of service that you get from a flight and the price are the, the for me at least, the two sort of mm-hmm. um, variables that most people kind of cho- choose those things through. And different people will have different weighting for those two different categories. I'm, you know, I'm probably somewhere in the middle for both of those. I want, I want a, a good enough service. I don't expect, you know, gold plated, cutlery um you but don't? 
Mm, no, no. Diamond encrusted, yes. Gold okay. plated, no. Um, but I and and I also don't want to pay you know too much. But for example, there are certain uh, budget airlines that I won't name on the podcast that I I strictly refuse to fly because you know I I don't want to be treated like cattle. <laughs> um, yeah, know. and the general consensus in the fl- in the flight industry is to go for that low budget, keep the price down, and uh, let people suffer. I mean, even bigger airplane air, uh, airlines have suffered in customer satisfaction scoring because they went for that cheaper, cheaper, cheaper flight. And I think they've kind of went too far on that. They should now go a little bit back the other side. Okay, let's keep it a bit more expensive, but give people value for money. So, so how? I mean, do you think it's? We've already talked about the fact that there are a variety of models that we know operate in this industry. So, do you actually think it's a question of transparency in that case? It, it, you know, is it the case that you know your your ticket was, let's say, you know, a thousand dollars? And this, the level of service you get for a thousand dollar ticket. If we bumped everybody's tickets up to fifteen hundred dollars, um, you know, you would get um, extra ground personnel. You would get, you know, extra lanes in um, in immigration or that sort of. Thing. You know, is it is it the fact that we're so used to the prices being at a certain price point that we just accept? the level of service we get. Well, I don't think so, because you still want to have it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. That's why those airlines you don't want to talk about uh, still have full planes every day, every uh, day of the week. People still go for those low-budget flights because it's very cheap. And there's a there's been that thing in the news where a guy in, in the UK, I think, he wanted to go from one point to another point, and his train ticket cost X amount of pounds. And for less than that, he was able to fly to Ibiza and back and stay there for a night. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. Uh, yeah, but that's what it's going for. But if I if I don't book those guys and I book with a more expensive uh, uh, airline, I want to have a level of service, a level of confidence that I'm going to depart on time, arrive on time, barring problems. I mean, there's always the unforeseen that's always going to happen. But yeah. at least that on average... They're on time. If you look at the buses uh, here in Holland, I actually can see in the app of the railroad, for example, that this train has a X percent chance of being on time. Yeah. It would be fine if that was 100% all the time, but that's a costing that they can't make. So, But they are giving me the transparency that if you go in peak hours, well, this train has a tendency on a Friday in uh, August to be 95% of the time on time or late. Yeah. The airlines don't do that. Well, they should be able to do this. Yeah, but then, uh, see, I, I keep coming back to transparency mm-hmm. because I think that there is, I think there is something inherent in the in the air industry that transparency is is not something that they're very good at. And to use an example, uh, gate opens in five minutes. Typically, that could mean the gate opens in five minutes or could mean the flight has been cancelled, but we don't want to tell you yet because we're rapidly scrambling about in the background just trying to work out what the hell we're going to do and how we're going to spin it and what on earth we might do next. But 
no one likes to put, you know, I regularly wait at airports where it says the gate is opening in five minutes for half an hour, Mm -hmm. 40 minutes regularly. And there's, there's some sort of, as I say, this lack of transparency, whereas, as you say, you know, you get a lot of other industries like uh, trains or um, buses, you can see through the, the, you know, the, if you're talking about buses that at the actual uh, stands, you can see, you know, your bus is due in five minutes and it's currently on mm-hmm. uh, currently X miles away. You know, they actually have the sort of streaming data available to them. So, yeah, there's there's definitely something specific around, I think, transparency in the yeah. sort of airline industry that's just not there. Yeah, I've actually had the experience where I was sitting at the gate that was saying boarding in five minutes, and I got a text from my wife who was following it on the app of the airport who told me, ah, your flight's been delayed half an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> sadly happens way too often transparency it's not there yeah and you need to have the data and the insights to be transparent but i think we both agree that if they wanted to they can have it and they probably yeah. have it already and it's but, just a choice yeah. now of being the first to be brave i guess yeah yeah very much so i mean the it goes you can see this happening in a number of different areas actually as i as i think about it more and more you know you can be in an airport and you can not know which gate you're going to, and yet you can get uh, a text message or an app alert from the actual um, uh, the airline, and they can say, "Oh, you're due, you know, your your flight is at gate number whatever it might be." Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe it's not strictly speaking transparency, although I still think there's an element of that. Maybe it's. Um, you know, integrated systems and the communication between them. Yeah, because also don't forget that an airport has multiple different companies, organizations working at the same time, and they're all different, and they don't talk to each other, and it's always the other guy's fault. Yeah, what we need is a standard. (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling this is going to come up a lot during this episode, but yeah. Moving on. (laughs) Moving on, moving on. Uh, what else did I have? Uh, well, very related to it, not just waiting for the gate to open, but immigration. And that's typically something in the US that really annoys me to no end. And I actually had a uh, connecting flight. I had one and a half hours to get that flight. And immigration decided to open two lanes. And at that point, I had to borrow, barter, beg people to let me pass in front so I could get through it faster. And I mean, they have all the information of how many planes get in, how many people will land, so they know what the capacity is they're going to need. They know how long it takes to have a single, normal, average person go through customs. So this should be 100% avoidable. Yeah. And even if you have an airport that says we have two people, that's all we're willing to put in there, then the air, um, the, the, the airplane company, the, 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 what you call that? The, the airline. The airline. Thank you. I was totally blanking on the word. <laughs> the airline itself should know then that in that airport, immigration is always a problem. So don't offer flights at these short, um, uh, transfer times or have some kind of service that they get you from the plane and guide you through fast or something like that. I mean, 
it's very stressful if you need to go to a connecting flight and you're standing in line there for an hour or an hour and a half knowing that you need to run 100 meters further from this point on and you're stuck here yeah and it, it's different if you're i mean there are a number of airports that i i transit through often enough that i know you know allow at least this um, this duration mm-hmm. because of the way the airport's laid out or you know you've yeah. got to you've got to take a train between these two terminals if you're going from international to regional or yeah. you know whatever it might be but that's that's kind of tacit knowledge that you build up over mm-hmm. time for the but business it's, traveler it's, that's perfectly possible but for vacation yeah. it's typically something you don't go every day exactly exactly you know the but it's not it's relatively simple knowledge. It's absolutely something that a simple rule-based system could could uh, could provide, or at least could warn. You know, you've you've only got an hour and a half. Are you sure you want to book this flight? Yeah. Um, you know, typically exactly. travelers spend this period of time transiting between flights. Um, you know, you're you're at the sort of you know. A nice, nice little bar graph of you know red at one end, green at yeah, the other. Exactly. You're all the way towards the red of of your ability to or your likelihood of making the flight. Mm-hmm. You know, just simple things like that would it's, make uh, that process can much easier. Just tell you it's not going to work because you need to have you have to go from terminal A to terminal B, and there's a little bus driving around from A to B, and it goes every thirty minutes. You will not make a twenty minute uh, yeah. over. Yeah, can be as easy as that. Yeah. Oh, well, and talking about immigration and big data, why do I have to give it the same information when I book, before I book, when I get my boarding pass, when I board, when I get off the plane, every time the single thing, I'm my name, I'm born this day. I mean, it's getting better with the automatic kiosk, so you can put in, in Europe at least, that works reasonably well. Yeah, yeah, agreed. The US part, I always go to the kiosk and I always get a big fat cross across my little ticket and I still have to go through the queue again. <laughs> and this is just this is not multiple organizations working together it's all the government the whole ESTA thing if you're from Europe going to the US you have to do the ESTA thing at least a month before if you want to be sure <laughs> so yeah. they have the information already just checking the number of my passport and that's the ESTA connect clear the end it shouldn't be any harder than that yeah government say. Hey, we pay them from our taxes, don't we? This is true. As you say, within Europe, it's got a lot better, but outside that... Recently. Yeah, in, in the last couple, couple of years. years yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you've still got some more flight-based stuff, so let's let's grind our way through that. No, I've kind of checked them all off because we pretty much <laughs> talked about all of those already somewhere or another, so... All right. So switching switching gears, and uh, you'll like what I did there. Um, I did a significant amount of driving uh, on this particular vacation. Uh, see, switching gears, driving. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, subtle, subtle, smooth. I think is the word you're looking for. Um, but this, uh, I mean, this may as well have been sponsored by Google. Um, you know, I I ended up. Uh, I didn't take the uh, the vehicle with the sat nav that we've already talked about from the the extortionately priced hire car because also the other thing is they bundled their own sat navs which are atrocious mm-hmm. devices by and large you know it's not your standard 
Tom Tom. It's it's some sort of screwed up version of of satellite navigation that never seems to work anywhere near as well. Anyway, so I I had you know free data available uh, during this trip. And uh, so I decided I would make use of it. So I used my phone for navigation throughout. Um, and I have to say, I was very, very impressed. I did um, I did a lot of miles um, over two and a half weeks of, of driving pretty much every day. And I would say there are probably maybe five times when that when navigation let us down in some way, shape or form. And that could be, could have been from a very minor, um, you know, telling us to turn left here when actually it would have been more efficient for us to carry on and turn left a bit later or something like that through to it, just not quite finding the right destination, but really only a very, very small handful of times. And, you know, when you're in a, a country that you don't know, in this particular case, in my case, driving on the wrong side of the road, and you've <laughs> got a, right a whole lot of other things that you're you're not used to dealing with, um, you know, having clear navigation was, was absolutely critical. And I have to say, you know, Google does a very, very good job of that. And yeah. you can see where it's, it's making use of big data, everything from... The, the estimations of times, including sort of variations during the day. You know, when you're planning the route the day before, you can give it the time that you plan to travel. And it can give you a good estimate. Of that. And those estimates, again, very, very, very accurate. And I, I was, I was thoroughly impressed. I don't tend to use it too much uh, in the UK because I have have a reasonably good sense of where I'm going. And you know, for the most part. Um, good enough is good enough. But when you're in a completely different location, completely out of your comfort zone, you tend to rely on it very, very closely. Um, And I was just, I was very, very impressed. Yeah, you're talking about uh, the Google version here, but I'm sure that the iPhone users, whatever, uh, Apple has their own map system that's probably just as good or reasonably in the same ballpark and the same Windows phones or whatever. And the thing that I like most about these things, because I use them a lot myself, is... I don't have to tell the sat-nav of the the, the, the the Google Maps or whatever you're using to go to number one somewhere street, Somewhereville. I can actually tell it. I want to go to this closest store that sells donuts. Yep. And that's where the big data aspect comes in for me. Because just having a navigation system, that's a graph, that's a data structure, that's not really big data. But they have very successfully included a lot of ephemeral or near information into those maps that make it so much more useful because I usually don't look for an address I use for it I look for a thing I need you look to for get. a destination yes yeah. yeah but I mean more than that that you as you mentioned you talk to it so it, voice recognition you know all all built into the experience mm-hmm. as you say you don't you very rarely are going to start plugging in you know, your destination through the keyboard. You tap it and you say, I want to go to, you know, town, city, shop yeah, that sells. Downtown, center of the town, yeah. the, 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 the mall, something like that. Yeah, name of a restaurant in place name. You know, th- those kind of things yeah. just just work. And that's without a doubt. That was the, the thing I was most concerned about and the thing that worked best. Even things like... Um, 
offline, you know, you know, because if you're traveling through, you know, doing a lot of long distance, you are going to be going in and out of coverage areas. But it, the fact that it, it seamlessly, well, seamlessly, it asks you, do you want to cache this route during, yep, exactly. you know, if you want to be offline, you know, in my case, I'd actually cache maps for the whole of the country just mm-hmm. in case. So it didn't ask me that. But the fact that all those things were really nicely integrated, it just, mm-hmm. it was a very, very good uh, experience. As I say it was the thing that I was most concerned about. And I think it was, it was the thing about the whole vacation from a, you know, navigation and logistics mm-hmm. perspective that was that was one of the, the best things that we'd used. Yeah. Actually, I use the cache maps not because I'm afraid of uh, going out of uh, signal zone, but because I'm paranoid about empty battery on my phone. And if you yeah. just go into airplane mode, you still need the GPS, which works in airplane mode. Yeah. But you don't have to use the, the, the 3G, 4G radio, so it saves a bit of battery power, which is good. Mm-hmm. There's one negative thing on, on the... Um, the way of get me to the closest store selling XYZ. <clears throat> and that's, of course, uh, that some companies are now starting to pay to be the first one in there, even though it's not the closest. Yeah. So it's a bit of a net neutrality kind of uh, discussion, I guess. And I'm kind of wondering if uh, in the near future we're going to have discussions about forcing companies to not have favorites, let's call it that. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting when it gets to that point. I I don't really. I mean, it's all about the the business models that are still yeah. very much evolving, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, because all these mapping things are for free. Well, they're for free because you agree to share a lot of your privacy data. <laughs> to yeah, be honest, yeah. R- remember, if 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 you're not paying anything for it, you're the product, not the customer. Exactly. And that's only going to get worse. Uh, whatever worse means in that case. Yeah, yeah, but I mean this, this sort of the the navigation, Google Maps here, Siri, um, Apple Maps, whatever. I think for me, this is starting to tie into the, the the concept of of smart cities. And actually, I was I was thinking about this when I came back, and I started looking into um, this a little bit further. And um, as it happened, uh, I think it was end of July, there was um, sort of something came out from the, the map service here, um, here for those that aren't familiar with it, um, is the old uh, Nokia map service that got spun off way back when. Um, and they've actually, um, they're not the first organization to do it, but they seem to be one of the first that's made a lot of noise about it, started aggregating info from multiple different um, car manufacturers now. You know, mo- the majority of new cars are shipped with um, 3G, 4G um, modems in them nowadays. And a lot of that information obviously goes back to the auto manufacturer, but now here is aggregating feeds from them as well and we'll put a link in the show notes i I thought it was quite an interesting article um it's a little bit light on the detail but it it, to me starts to play into more of the the sort of the smart cities uh and the infrastructure behind that Mm -hmm. but uh, again to a certain extent it comes back to the standards you know smart cities are only useful if 
everything can talk to everything else. If the traffic lights can talk to the cars that can talk to the the motorways that are feeding the city to, to you know slow down or speed up traffic or you know whatever it might be. And these these are the promises of of smart cities. Is this completely aligned converged infrastructure? Everything from you know power and utilities through to sort of roads and rails and road and rail infrastructure and everything else. Um, but I, I I was so I was having a look around to see what what the categorization of smart cities is currently. And again, put another link in the show notes. But there's a um, the IESE, which I can't remember what the acronym stands for right now, um, but they actually have um, a, a sort of a ranking for the sort of top uh, cities in motion. And the, the last sort of um, uh, published list I could see was for 2016, and we'll provide a link to that. And, you know, number one is New York. Number two is Paris. I'm afraid Amsterdam is all the way down at number six. So sorry about that. Um, but, you know, the, the major cities you, that you would expect there are up in the top tens, and you can see sort of how much they've they've stepped up or stepped down. But the way that they're ranked is actually um, when people are talking about smart cities are things like, human capital, uh, social cohesion, the economy, uh, public management, governance, environment, mobility and transportation, which is what I primarily thought smart cities was all about, is actually, in their case, it's just one sort of factor. And then urban planning, international outreach and technology. So, yeah, I I think there's, there's a far more scope for big data and smart cities than even I had been sort of considering or thinking about. Yep. Bit of a abstract random train of thought there, but <laughs> hopefully interesting or useful. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not though. No, you're right. So yeah, that was, so yeah, lots of driving, um, navigation. Good. Yeah, I'm <laughs> going to make a segue into food now. Ah, my favorite topic. Because I, uh, during my vacation, I came to a uh, diner, pub, restaurant thingy that had, had an IoT solution I just loved. They had a big screen on the, above the bar that just showed every keg how much was still left in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> With a nice green red lamp, like the last glass is going out. <laughs> it just got me wondering. I mean, it also had a little bit of advertising that this thing was brought to you by company XYZ. I don't remember yeah, what the company yeah. was. But I was wondering how integrated this was. Do these guys have these uh, measurements across the whole city, the whole country? Can they preemptive maintenance, empty kegs and stuff like that? So it was a, I thought it was a very nice example of IoT and what you can do. <laughs> Uh, what, what's the uh, to, what's the manufacturing term? Just in time manufacturing. Do they have just in time delivery of, of of new beer? I don't know, but I don't know because they still had kegs that were empty. Maybe that yeah. was because the personnel wasn't able to f- fill them up uh, fast enough or exchange them fast enough. I don't know. But they also had they used this for very specialty beers because it was a microbrewery kind of environment. Oh, okay. So I think it was more of a, uh, if you want to taste this beer, be quick or else it's gone, which is a brilliant yeah. way of uh, marketing it. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Because, of course, the more people that taste it, the faster it goes down. Exactly. Supply yeah. and demand and all that. Now, what would be cool is if they actually 
fluctuated the price based on <laughs> you know, based on based on how much was and you know and the demand on it. Yeah, that would that would be cool. But yeah, that's that's nice. Yeah, spot instances on cakes. Why the hell not? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Another thing which is a bit of a rant. Uh, personally, I don't suffer from allergies, but I know a lot of people do. And I've actually did some research after I came back of, uh, okay, is there data available on how prevalent certain allergies are? Or is this just something that's not that big of a deal? And I'll probably put a, uh, put a link in the show notes, but there are, actually there is existing data research that gives you by region that this kind of uh, allergy is very prevalent blah 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 and so on and it flabbergasted me that we still put strawberries on everything while 30 percent of the world's population dies from them really (laughs) strawberries of doom (laughs) hey it is a poison it's a nightshade plant so it is a poison just some of us can can stomach it apparently but it's just one example. I mean, you have different kinds of allergies, of course, as well. And yeah, I mean, I, it, again, I so I suffer from from um, hay fever, and I also have an allergy to feathers. And hmm. you would be surprised how many hotels I go to, and you know, I don't talk about hay fever, but I do say, you know, <laughs> I, I have an allergy to feathers. So if you've got any feather pillows or down. Mm-hmm or, you know, duvets or anything like that, then, you know, could we change that out? And I would say it's it's probably split 50-50 between organizations that say, no, it's fine, sir, we, you know, all of our bedding is allergy-free, blah, blah, blah. And the other 50% have no idea what you're talking about, have no idea what their, their bedding or pillows are made mm-hmm. from, and yeah, I'll have to go and call someone to find out. And yeah, yeah. this, and this is not—it's definitely not split between that that same fifty percent as in expensive places and cheap places. No, no. It, it's very much, very much randomly distributed. It would seem across the uh, across the price points of of destinations. But yeah, I mean, uh, that apparently that is also a reasonably common allergy yeah, nowadays i think my wife suffers from that too and i know that uh, i have a lot of loyalty cards for uh, hotel change and they allow me to put in my food preferences if i want kosher or not and yeah, that kind of stuff yeah. but allergy information nah and even if it, and even if it is there does it actually get acted on again not nah. very not very regularly i don't think no, I mean, my wife and I go on a hotel, it's the usual drill. When you go into the room, open up every pillow, every duvet, everything, <laughs> start checking the labels. Because <laughs> whatever the reception says, ah, we don't trust it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's about all I have for the uh, travel itself, for the trip itself, to be honest. I mean, there were a lot more s- small and big things, but we've been going on for an hour already, and this is going to be a short episode, remember? <laughs> okay so let's let's we've we've done the trip now let's talk about the aftermath um so in 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 my case you know the aftermath of the travel was uh we had a variety of obviously photos people take photos on holiday and yep. we are no exception to that um we actually because we were doing a lot of driving and a lot of it was you know, quite interesting driving, you know, some, some very tight mountain roads across mountain passes and some 
spectacular, stunning landscapes and, you know, some fairly interesting sort of places. So um, borrowed a friend's uh, GoPro. Uh, Hey, Andy, if you're listening. And, um, you know, proceeded to take a variety of different different styles of time-lapse. So, you know, you can take video time-lapse, you can take image snapshot-based time-lapse. There are pros and cons to each um but you know if you if you're doing sort of half a day of driving and you've got you know time lapse photos then you end up with you know 24,000 pictures <laughs> that you then need to, <laughs> to to go and you know do yep. something with edit into a video or whatever it might be or you've got you know maybe it's uh it's 6 hours of, of dash cam footage that even if you've time lapsed it that's still you know you've still got a, a 20 minute sort of video. And if you're doing that every day, you know, what do you edit it down to? What do you do with that? There's just such a lot of, of data yeah. that you generate on these kind of trips. And, you know, I saw, in fact, I was, I was looking at uh, an article, I think it was a couple of days ago that was talking about the automated removal of uh, watermarking and images. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this I think some algorithms that Google have developed, and what I what I really want is some automated, um, at least first level review of images, you know, pictures that I've taken. You know, review review the entire set of pictures I've taken, and in some cases I'll take a couple of pictures of the same thing, and you know maybe in some cases I'll I'll wait for people to walk past, or I'll you know, change an angle slightly and, you know, give me an objective score about this picture. Is this picture better than that picture? You know, which should be the the top tier of pictures that I can then go in and review personally to sort of, you know, weed out the dross for me. Um, well, there is some stuff out there already, right? Because I know, for example, the iPhone 6, 7, 8 something, uh, whenever you take a picture with that camera, it takes 10 pictures and takes the best one as the picture it will show you. Yeah, with closed eyes, open eyes, stuff like that. So there are, 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 are algorithms out there. Uh, another thing you could do, for example, and I'm going to put up my Microsoft hat at the moment because uh, we have a service, and there are more services out there as well that allow you to upload your photo and have it tagged. Mm-hmm. Just tag stuff like it has a tree, it has a dog, it has a house, it has a this and that, and even uh, I know that the Apple, the uh, iOS, the photo app uh, in there has a way of having your photos on a timeline and also f- uh, face recognition. These photos all have this person in it. So there is stuff out there. The problem for me, I think, is that it's very not integrated again. Yeah. You either have this solution that does these three things or that solution that has these five things. I have to upload everything to the cloud to have these seven things. Yeah. And you actually want all of them. <laughs> Yeah, and and for for me it it it's the it, it's that qualitative you know which, which of these pictures is better than the others, it, the, and that's it, it's a more difficult problem to solve. It, it's been it, yeah, it's it's been easier on this trip um, than it has been for me on previous trips because. Uh, other trips I've taken, for example, I love to I love to dive, I love to scuba dive. Uh, I also love to snorkel, and 
I also love to take pictures underwater as well. And, you know, when you're taking pictures of, of fish or coral, you're moving, it's moving, you know, water conditions are changing. It's moving very quickly. You're moving less quickly. You know, all of those things mean that to try and get one picture, you might take, you know, a hundred relatively terrible pictures. And so that, that, I mean, that process should be, much easier to automate you know is the thing that looks like the focus object in the center of the picture is it even in focus you know that sort of thing i would think would be a lot easier to start with um you know scoring something something i guess of the nature where you take you know two or three or four pictures of something and they're each they each have different merits, but which is the better one, I think would be more difficult, but still, I would no. think possible. Yeah, it's a solved problem. It's easy enough to do. You have a neural network that does that for you. The problem is that that neural network is too big to run on your phone or on your camera or on your PC. Mm. You need to have a service, a, a, a pass service somewhere that you can send all your pictures to. The problem here is, are you really going to upload 24,000 pictures to get the 10 best ones back? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and what would, I mean, we're now, that, we're now into basically serverless computing, aren't we? Where mm-hmm. you, you basically, you'd have a, maybe you'd have a local client that you'd, you know, you'd select the pictures, you hit go, it uploads everything, you know, scores everything and then spits the results back in some metadata that it applies against the your images that it's it's curated. It I just mean, takes so much time. Yeah, because photos yeah. are big pieces of data. And I know my wife is the the photo nut in the family. I don't really take photos, but she does. And we on the vacation because she didn't want to lose photos. She had a little it was a Western digital thing where you could put an SD card in mm-hmm. and an internal hard drive that just makes a backup. Basically, when we came back in the hotel in the evening, she started that thing up and then we went for dinner. <laughs> when we came back, yep. we were still doing the copying. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, I mean, there are things that could be done to improve that, though, right? I mean, you could send, rather than sending the full high-resolution you know, raw image, could you not send um, you know, a scaled-down scaled um, version of the image and things depends. like that? If you want to say, I, I want to have a... I have a blurred version and a non-blurred version of the same uh, picture because one was in focus, one wasn't in focus. If I reduce the uh, resolution, they both become blurred. Maybe. There's so, a, there's a, there's a yeah. compromise to be made between, I mean, you're talking about today's cameras spit out, you know, 10 megapixel, 10 megapixel images very easily. Mm. You know, a, a 10 megapixel versus a, you know, four megapixel image is still going to be sharp enough to do that kind of scoring de- and detection, I would hope. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't know either. But I, I, that, it, it seems, again, it seems to be another, it seems to be another big data service that is just yeah. crying out for, for someone to, there. yeah. Someone I think to at the moment it. it's just a problem that you need to be either a, a Google or a Microsoft or an Amazon to be able to have something like this available as a service. And typically, it's only being used by big companies that want to do something to make money from. And it's just too expensive today for us simple people wanting to use this for our vacation photos. Yep. Give it another year. We'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, indeed.
I look forward to that service coming on there. <laughs> I look forward to disagreeing with it. <laughs> yeah, again, it's going to be the bias thing, right? A good yeah. photo for you might not be a good photo for me. But then, then that's where training comes into it, and that's you know that could be the difference between the paid for service and the free service. You know, the free uh, service. No, that's all I mean. What I mean is that the model that you use to get your perfect results may not be a good model for me. No, absolutely. I want to have but, my model, and that's yeah. a whole different uh, ball of wax. Yeah, but then ball that's where that's where training, that's where supervised learning comes into these things. That could be the paid versus no, free. You know, no, no, no. This is something that actually I have been working on, and it's a problem with, for instance, for example, object detection in images. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things out there. I mean, sorry, at Microsoft in the Cortana suite, you have a little website, you can send a picture to it, and it'll give you back. And I think we have about twenty thousand or thirty thousand tags that it can detect. And for a vacation photo, for example, I want to know if it has a tree, a house, a road, a car. It usually works. But if I am a company that's created that's making medical supplies, medical strips of, of, of strips of uh, medication, and I have a factory uh, moving conveyor belt that has all of these things passing through at a twenty thousand second, and I make a picture just for quality control, and I want to detect if one of those strips is not fully sealed or has a damaged thing or something like that. You need a totally different kind of model to detect these things. And so what we're now doing, what you're seeing happening in the in the whole uh, neural network artificial intelligence modeling is that the uh, company that gives you the model gives you a model that's finished for 80% and allows you to retrain the last 20%. Uh, okay. Yeah. That way you still have the big force of the big company like an Amazon, like a Google, like a Microsoft to give you the, the, the horsepower to build the image, to, the, the architecture, the neural network to start with, but allows the end customer to just add not a million pictures, but a hundred pictures to skew the model in a certain direction. Yeah. And yeah. There's a huge demand for that at the moment. And it's something that's uh, starting to appear now. And that's what you want, because your model should be skewed to your preferences, and yeah, my yeah. model to my preferences. Yeah. Because I like red and you like green. So every picture for me that has too much green in it, I don't like. Yep. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> what else? So this, this, so this has basically become a, an opportunity for for people that are that, that don't have enough startup ideas, but have lots of cash to to invest in our ideas. Yeah, we're actually doing. <laughs> we should patent patent all this stuff, man. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it passed through all yours. I've got two more. One I'm just going to mention that is uh, email spam because everywhere you go, you have to leave your email address for some reason, and I'm looking forward to. Huge amounts of spam on those email addresses now. So that's something. Why does email spam still exist today? That should be a solved problem. But not going to go too deep into that. There's one thing I did want to talk about, and it's very much correlated to the thing we started at, the reviews you leave behind. Because I'm back home now. I have experienced certain holidays, certain vacations, certain excursions, certain hotels, certain whatevers. I'm afraid to leave behind a review. On the one hand, I want to help people after me, and I want to try to put a review out there that's bias-free as much as possible to help other people not go to things which I think were horrible. But my problem here is that big data allows people to go on the internet and get all my reviews together and build a image, a profile of me. 
Mm-hmm. How safe is it today to go onto Amazon.com, uh, buy a CD, and say that that CD you loved it? Because who know we know that you're an aficionado of that kind of strange thing. Now, now we know that Jan likes Justin Bieber, <laughs> for example. Uh, now it's a uh, Rick Rick Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, links to Rickroll YouTube videos <laughs> in the show notes. Yeah. <clears throat> no, but I, th- I really think that it's becoming it, a it problem. Is a, it is a valid concern, and it, it, I mean, this comes back to. And this reminds me, in fact, of the um, one of the Hadoop Summit um, keynotes that we saw probably two years, three years ago, maybe, which was um, a lady talking about the ethics of big data. Um, You know, and just because you can, you know, correlate all of these variety of different sources, you know, should you? And if you do, you know, what what sort of um, ethics should you govern the decisions that you make Mm -hmm. based on that? And it is very much a, it is a, a big gray area and I don't think I mean there are different countries different uh, regions have different privacy laws um, so you know certain review sites are headquartered in certain locations where some of the privacy laws that you would expect for the stuff to apply against wouldn't necessarily apply against so to be it, honest anything government isn't going to care about it anyway yeah well, not unless there's a massive outcry of some way, shape, or form. But it, it, it's going to come down to the ethics of the individual organizations that, that make these sorts of things possible. What are they going to do with that data? Um, who knows? Who knows what they could do with it today or, more importantly, what they might do with it tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because once it's out there, it's hard to take it back. So I'm actually in a situation where I'm afraid to put reviews on a certain hotel, which I really hated. Because it's going to be so negative, and if somebody ever finds my name with that negative review, it'll give them an image of me, which is not the real me. But the internet but, never lies, right? Well, but the way that you do that is by providing reviews about all the other places that you did enjoy. And, you know, that way it all averages out. Yeah, but, but that means I have to give more, more of my privacy away. I know, I know, but that's the way these things work, right? You either... You either give nothing, in which case you are under the radar, sort of, or you give everything, but in that case, then that gives a very, potentially a very complete picture of you. And whether you like that or don't is very much as to how you're wired. I think people in this industry, by default, because they understand the power of what big data can do, are more hesitant towards providing that sort of level of detail. But you... Then again, on other places, I mean, you know, just go and look at any Twitter feed from almost anybody. Some people are very public and very mm-hmm. open and sharing about what they're up to, what they're doing. And you can build very accurate profiles around some people based yeah. on information that's freely available. Not social media problem. Indeed. Oh. So, conclusion we've come to. <laughs> <laughs> I think the conclusion is that there's loads of stuff that isn't being done, and which we we would really appreciate if somebody would start doing it. I think I think what we've what we've the conclusion that I've come come to is that big data has done a lot to improve things, but there's a lot more that big data could help to improve. Mm-hmm. And the more that they do, the more new ideas get spun up. Because half of the things that are on my list here three years ago, I wouldn't have even thought of. Yeah, very true. 
just by doing more and more gets enabled, more gets available, and more great ideas start. So I guess the best uh, conclusion here is that uh, big data advanced analytics, it's at the beginning. It's not even near the, the end of the beginning. Oh, yeah. This this feedback loop hasn't even gone through one iteration, and it's got many, many, many more iterations to go. Yeah, absolutely. So many more Roaring Elephant episodes to come. Indeed. And on that note, let's call it a day. <laughs> let's, let's wind it up at that. I would give us the standard outro of this is all the time you have for today, but we've gone hugely over time in this short, bite-sized episode of Big <laughs> Roaring Elephant Big Data. But we will still be back next week for a new episode. Until then, sorry, as usual, please go to www.roaringalpha.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can find us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast uh, Twitter tag. And you can send email to podcast at roaringalpha.org. Any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or feedback are welcome there. Until next time, my name is John. And my name is Jay. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye. See you.